0: Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Four o'clock hour, Reno's on board, Vegas as well, Battleborn Sports Hour. Justin Watkins in his studio, the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Studio. Adam Candy is along as the company. Let's get to the Big Four.
1: Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four.
0: Number four. All right, rolling both of you guys in on this one first. Justin, what have you seen so far in the six and two start for the the Vegas Golden Knights last night, tight game, down going into the third, three goals, kind of blitzed them in the final seven minutes.
1: Yeah, I think so far they've um, found uh, the goals that they need in the pressure situations. I think the goaltending has been really good. Uh, I think the defense has been much improved from last year. Um, if we're talking about last night's game, I mean, last night's game, the, the Sharks went four and a half minutes uh, with an empty net, six on four, and there were – no dangerous shots during that whole four and a half minutes so I think they're they're looking pretty good but you know hey we still got (laughs) 75 games to go so a good start glad that we're 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 progressing as we are
2: what does a good start mean to you as a Golden Knights fan who went through the challenges of last season Justin like are are you kind of still in wait and see mode like you're saying there that it's not enough for you to believe that okay things are going to be better this year Oh, yeah. I,
1: I mean, I think a good start for me means they're healthy, that the goaltending is showing up because I think that was the biggest question mark going in and that uh, Mark Stone looks healthy. I mean, those things all combined and not, you know, lo- not losing a whole bunch and getting yourself out of the race before to get started. I mean, people had some hopes for the Canucks. I mean, they're winless in eight. So uh, or winless in seven. They, they've almost lost their whole season in the first seven games so from from my perspective good start is goaltending showing up mark stone looks healthy uh the coaching seems to be effective at least in the area of, of defense
2: uh and i like how the lines are shaping
1: up
0: candy really annoyed by something that mark stone said after the game
2: it's not what he said after the game it's in an article from a couple days ago from uh, espn's ryan clark but I don't know Justin tell me what you think about this I I'm kind of tired of the everyone hates us angle that it seems like Mark Stone as the captain has been kind of putting out there for the Golden Knights like it, it it feels a little bit contrived to me uh it feels like yeah well if, if you feel like you have haters if you feel like people are just angry at the Golden Knights well it just go out and win and no one will be able to say anything right and that's kind of how they've started the season is you know, they are going out and winning but I don't know how does that strike you the whole idea of oh yeah well everybody hates us
1: yeah I mean I think that they've heard a lot of that from the media uh and I think the best way to to, to take that is to try to turn it into fuel uh for playing better and winning I think that they're they are attempting to do that I I agree with you at times it does feel a little contrived but uh, in this situation, you know, I feel like they do finally have uh, some sort of haters who have said, you know, now you're not making the playoffs. You're not really what you thought you were. Um, and they have to prove it to themselves first and then to everybody else. And frankly, that because of the way they started as a franchise, the expectation is those haters will be around and less than until
0: they win a cup. Number three. We just got done talking briefly about Russell Wilson. Let's and the, ride. Sto- and the story that came out that he was doing calisthenics on the plane uh, for hours while the rest of the team was sleeping as they get ready for a game in Europe. Give me this cut again. And I, I want, because I want Justin, he's usually the voice of reason on the show. And I did not get a chance to defend my guy, Russ.
2: You know, I've traveled enough to, to get, you
1: know, kind of get my system down. For the first two hours I was watching the film and then for the next four hours, I was doing treatment on the plane. I was walking up and down the aisles. Everybody was knocked out. I was doing high knees and working on my, working on my legs and everything else, you know, making sure I'm ready to rock. I've got my secrets. i got my movements and then uh, tons of water. It always helps. I appreciate you guys. Let's go Broncos. Let's ride. All
0: right. I love at the end. He's not... Okay. Let's say, first of all, He's doing the Broncos let's ride thing now because he knows it's become a thing. Right. All right, he's not an idiot. Okay? Russ gets it. Now, Candy, you got really annoyed that Russ was coming off like a cornball once again. Explain to the Reno audience and the Vegas audience that didn't hear why are you irked? He's
2: a goober, man. He's just a goober and that's not an NFL quarterback personality trait that is going to reflect well. If you're if you're Russell's teammate, and you see him in the aisles, walking up and down the plane, doing high knees. If we take this at face value, and that's exactly what you wake up to seeing Russell Wilson do, aren't you a little weirded out by like what is this guy doing? What 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 exactly is the idea here? Because he says things like that. Just the way last year he talked about how when he hurt his thumb, he was rehabbing 19 or 20 hours a day. No, I mean, you weren't. Like, it's just that's just not true. You you weren't doing that. And then, you know, he says these things, and then he just kind of wraps it up with a kid, like a, all right, buddy, yep, love you guys, yep, yeah, appreciate you, yep, yeah, Broncos, let's ride. Like, none of it feels real. Nothing that comes out of his mouth feels natural. It just doesn't feel like he's telling you the truth.
1: I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think, and and I imagine, you know, anybody who's done team sports, you've you've probably had a guy like this on your team who's, I don't know, uh, wants some attention and has some... Persona that he throws out there to the world—that's uh-huh. not real inside the room. And, Johnny Raw Raw Football. Yeah, and nobody likes that guy, you know. rushy Football. So yeah. I, I I agree with Candy. I mean, I think that this has to—it wears on us as the audience. Like, I don't care about Russell right. Wilson. I don't think it's funny anymore. He's just like, oh, that's that weirdo. He's the Broncos weirdo. Okay, fine. And, and I, I imagine inside the room, it's probably wearing on them.
0: But here's the thing: I don't believe it's wearing on them because the players are also aware of how he's saying it, and I assume most times they can go up to him and talk to him. If you watch these quotes, you can see that he's smiling, and it's a bit, like he was smiling when he got off the plane and and did this whole thing about the high knees, he was smiling. Right. Just like the, what was the sandwich we played a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the danger witch, which if if you notice, a lot of the stuff he's doing now on video, it's out for two days and they're like, oh, so cringy, they had to pull it down. It's all a work. Right. He's working us now. I get it, but I... He is naturally cringy, but now I think he's going extra level cringy, and it's part of a bit.
1: It's too cute by half. I mean, you're missing 90% of the audience by it.
0: Candy, his mouth is a game. Like, there's
2: no... They're two and five. They're two and five. That's the work on the fans. They're two and
0: five. That's right. Trying to trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Number two. Wow, just a stunned disbelief, Candy. I wasn't I really wasn't presenting anything that was was trolling there at all. Okay, Candy and I melded minds on this one. We saw this news that came out. We're getting a lot of by the way, we're getting a lot of judgments in uh from stories last year. I got oh, I forgot one. We, uh, we usually exchange ideas. I'm going to have to get that to you during the break. So remind me because I'll forget. Um, we watched stuff go down last year with Antonio Brown, and he had a fracas with a truck driver. Judgment has come down. Yeah. Did they really award the truck driver $1.2 million? And where Candy and I were melded together, I think our first thought both of us were, is he really going to have to pay this?
1: He's going to have to pay more than this. Yeah. What? Yeah. Whoa. I mean so this is this is a jerk so first off uh, Antonio Brown was not appearing at hearings and and scheduled um, appearances before the court so he just
0: blew it off and didn't He blew have an it attorney. off right oh,
1: so no. so what happened was is they just had a jury sit and award the value of the case without hearing from the other side it's one-sided story right so the jury awarded, Four hundred thousand dollars compensatory. That means this person had four hundred thousand dollars of medical bills or lost work that they could support. So it's not a make-believe number. They had to give the jury that number. So I don't know what made up that number, but it's a hard number. And then seven hundred and something thousand dollars in pain and suffering. And you say, well, okay, that, that it adds up to one point two million. How's he going to pay more? Well, in situations in which the other side doesn't meaningfully participate, the next thing that's going to follow after the jury award is a motion for attorneys' fees, costs, and interest. And Interest, attorney's fees, and cost are significant. It'll be much more like a 1.6 number. And so the idea that then Brown could try to settle for less on something like this is based on the likelihood of your of you winning on appeal because of some issue went wrong but you didn't show up you didn't bring a defense so there is no appealable so the next issue. Level
0: judges will look at this and go you didn't take the process seriously why would i overturn it they won't they will not candy was that enough for you you believe ab is going to pay eventually all right so i'm just i'm playing this out just because so if he
2: let's say he gets on some sort of payment plan is that a thing can you can you get on <laughs> a payment plan for uh, 1.6 million dollars
1: only to the extent that the other the party accepts it i mean they could start garnishing wages and property um auction off his property they could do all that stuff so yes could he come to him and say listen i'll pay you two hundred fifty thousand 000 uh every six months until i've paid off 1.9 million because nothing's for free if you're gonna do a payment plan you gotta pay the vig um that yeah they could agree to that but they're not forced to
0: okay let me play it out even further so okay you just said they could just take the money from him yep. if he never paid it and it's just like you know what i'll serve the jail time screw you
1: there's no no. there's no jail time that's not how this works it wouldn't right? flip the no. like you didn't pay yeah. man
0: now you're going to jail He'll i mean like, the, i it, don't care his i'm all, hardened his i can o- do
1: it his only out would be bankruptcy he could file bankruptcy and then the court could make a determination of whether or not this was dischargeable or not meaning whether or not the bankruptcy would turn this to effectively a zero one of the exceptions to dischargeability of bankruptcy is an intentional tort an intentional wrong you you harm somebody and you did it with intent not negligence so they his this truck driver's attorneys would fight very hard if he were to file bankruptcy to say this survives bankruptcy and they'd have a really
2: good argument what if like Michael Scott he walks into the courtroom and just goes I declare bankruptcy would it work
1: Uh, You know, what's funny is if you were to say something like that in court, it would have meaning, right? It actually would have meaning in that it could stay the proceedings. If you made a representation to the court that you're filing bankruptcy, they're not allowed to take any further action. Everything has to halt until that filing is made and until the bankruptcy court has had a chance to assert jurisdiction. So it, it, it does have an effect despite Michael Scott's, you know, dramatization of it.
0: Brilliant. Number one. Top story. I want to get into Derek Carr. Lay out the case here in the next 45 seconds, Candy, that uh, the Raiders may have a tough time making this miraculous run back into the playoffs because of Carr's play. Because right now, ratings wise, by PFF, it's pretty low.
2: And it's not just PFF great. It's a combination of a number of metrics that basically says Derek Carr's been average. He's rated 14th. He's right next to Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo. And the idea behind this season was we are putting all of the weapons around Derek Carr to make this an explosive passing offense. Now they've gotten it done with the run so far. Josh Jacobs has been great and this line has been able to run block. But the fact of the matter is they're two and four and this team needs more out of the passing offense if it's going to compete consistently consistently week in week out so I think the question is are you going to get more out of Derek Carr than what you've gotten so far
0: all right interesting topic to build on I'm going to throw it out there I have more confidence in Derek Carr leading the Raiders to the playoffs than I do in Justin Herbert and leading the Chargers to the playoffs I'm not liking at all what I'm seeing from San nope not San Diego The LA Chargers right now are a freaking mess. I'd be fired up if I was a Raiders fan. I think things are looking up as compared to what's going down in LA. The thing about it, me and Adidas is like, I could literally say anti-Semitic and they can't drop me. I could say
1: anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what?
0: Adidas is ending its partnership with Kanye West. The German sneaker giant says it does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. I want to get to the Kanye stuff because, I don't know, I always feel like in such a litigious society, and people have the right to protect themselves when agreements end, lawsuits come, so we'll get to that within five minutes. But we started on Derek Carr, and as Candy, describe it again. You were talking about you know, a mix of different ratings and that right now Derek Carr is kind of playing average football. I know on PFF, it's actually one of his worst seasons of his career. So lay the case out again, that if this team is going to make the playoffs with all these weapons, Carr's playing like what right now?
2: A middle of the road quarterback. He's playing at the number 14 level. According to PFF, he's playing like Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, The 49ers are struggling and the Minnesota Vikings have had the good fortune of playing in a bad division thus far. And they have a nice record that kind of mirrors what the Giants have done. So if you look at the Raiders, you see that when they've won, they've won with the running game. Now, can you win with the running game in the NFL in 2022 consistently? Not unless it's an option kind of offense, not unless it's a Jalen Hurts running quarterback sort of dual threat. Now, maybe Josh McDaniels can scheme a few things out of that for the Raiders, but right now they're two and four and in a really bad spot. So the easiest place to look to say, can this team get better is to look directly at Derek Carr and say, you now have the weapons that you were supposed to have with Darren Waller coming back this week. You now have the guys you wanted to have. Now you need to be the one to step up.
1: I I agree. I just, with your last point is I think where a big part of it is, is Darren Waller hasn't been Darren Waller um at all during this season i know because i have him in fantasy league and he's been on my Yeesh. bench um so uh that's how he that's how well he's played or 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 ineffective in he's been um but the, the reality is i don't think that Derek carr is much better than uh 8 to 12. that's that's his range he's just playing slightly below what i expect him to be i know his career averages are, are higher than that but they paid him like you know Close to a top five quarterback and i just don't think he's ever going to be a top five quarterback he's not that kind of player to your point before the break i think herbert has the chance to be that that type of player a top five quarterback although this year as a chargers fan i'm not i'm not feeling a heck of a lot of confidence it's just it just looks like a like sort of a broken year um even the games we're winning we don't look good and uh, i don't have high expectations of how this is all going to turn out
0: i don't think herbert has much of a chance to be better than the offense, right? I'm talking about the offense. Be better than what Carr can be. I think Carr is going to ascend from here. I think Herbert is up against it on a couple of fronts. I don't know when he's going to be officially healthy with the ribs because I yep. don't believe he's healthy. Right. The offensive line is getting crushed by injuries. Lindsley came back at center, but Slater is awesome. He's out for the year. Mike right. Williams is now down for four weeks. Keenan Allen came back. He wasn't right. And I'll give you the biggest problem, and this is my confidence in Carr. It's more of a team thing, right? And we'll let Candy react to this in a second. Carr is working with Josh McDaniels, who I believe is an above-average offensive coordinator. Then Mick Lombardi is OC in title, but they got a good group there. I think the biggest problem with the Chargers, aside from all the other things I just named, Joe Lombardi stinks. Mm -hmm. He is not a good offensive coordinator, and I don't want to go down the whole nepotism thing. I never understood why they hired him in the first place. He came from New Orleans. You think he was calling plays in New Orleans with Sean Payton there? Right. So you've now given this good offense. They're beat up. And a good quarterback to Lombardi, and gee, damn it, they keep doing, first of all, they can't figure out the to the high shell, right, the, the two high safeties, the shell. Everything Herbert throws is underneath. They can't figure it out, how to get the ball downfield, and I don't think that's on Herbert. And the other one is, my God, I like Staley, and I like going forward on fourth down, but if Joe Lombardi runs one more g damn run between the tackles with Eckler, stop, stop. You just repeat the same stupid play call. So all of that together, I think Herbert will have a decent year, but I, I don't it's not looking good, man.
1: Oh yeah. And my comment was that I think Herbert has a chance to be top five quarterback in the future. Right. This year, I agree with you. I agree with everything you just said. I mean, I think at the end of the at the end of the year, Carr will have had a better season than Herbert. I I, I predict that
2: to be true. Okay, so if you look at Justin Herbert's numbers this year, the one that jumps out at you more than anything else is the average depth of target. 2020 7.8 yards 2021 7.9 yards frankly if you were really taking advantage of the guy with this arm they would be longer than that in the first place then this year down to 6.8 yards you're not giving him the opportunity to do what justin herbert does best and the one caution we'll throw out there is that maybe the rib injury is lowering his ceiling on how much he can push the ball down the field maybe that's what we're never going to know about the chargers this year but if you don't let Justin Herbert push the ball vertically, then you're never going to take advantage of the talent that this offense has.
0: Justin Watkins with us, Adam Candy, it's Cofield. We get into legal topics as well, of course, with our uh, legal insider here. 766-1400 is the call from anywhere in Nevada number for battle injury lawyers. The Kanye West story is really fascinating. There's a ton of layers here. Um, in essence, he's losing relationships for what is a language violation, repeated language violations, right, Mm -hmm. by whatever our standards are now, I think he's doing it on purpose. Like, it's so bizarre. I think he wanted to push it to the edge and see what would happen, and he may be fine with, hey, you know what, I'll just do it on my own. But from a contractual standpoint, I know you don't have the contracts in front of you, when we're talking about Adidas dropping him, and then he's got an agency, and Aaron Donald said, you know what, I'm done, And uh, Jalen Brown from the NBA said, I'm done. Let's talk about Adidas first and then the players. So what's the deal with Adidas and that whole partnership and language violations that bring it into a relationship, a one-sided end to the relationship?
1: Uh, I I actually think that there are two different cases between, like, say, Aaron Donald and what Adidas can do. Because the clip that you played is basically saying, I can say anti-Semitic stuff and Adidas won't drop me. Now, that's directed at Adidas and saying that either one of two things either Adidas agrees with anti Semitism if I were to say it, which I'm not, but if I were, they wouldn't drop me because either they agree with it, which is a shot, or they've agreed to that term in our contract that I can say anti Semitic stuff and they can't drop me. And either case, if those aren't true, and clearly Adidas didn't think that those were true, then I think it's a basis to drop them say, yeah, you've basically accused us of being sympathizers to anti-Semitism. But that accusation has not been leveled at Aaron Donald or any other players that have signed up with his agency. And did he actually say something anti-Semitic in that clip? No, he didn't. Does he have a pass that toes that line and a lot of people think crosses that, was, that line? A that ton? was a
0: very small example
1: yeah, of what exactly. he was saying. Yeah, I think I think there have been instances in the past where he has been charged with that. I, I, I'm not any sort of expert on, I, I'm not a part of the oppressed group. Uh, I'm not part of the Jewish community. So I don't, I don't know what actual words sort of get to them and what, what they believe to be anti-Semitic. But I'll tell you this, they've been going after him for a while saying, hey, that's anti-Semitic, stop saying that. And he continues to say those kinds of things.
0: Candy, I've got a question for you on the media side of things. You're a longtime writer, so you kind of understand that side of things. You know, it's funny. Last night I was looking back, because it's been going on for two or three weeks, Kanye making his statements, and I was looking back at stories, and I'm like, okay, let me, I want to see all the things he has said that were anti-Semitic. Can I tell you, it was almost impossible to find, because no one would write it in the story or link it out. As a print writer, how important is it, To put the offensive, like, is there a fear that, hey, if we keep putting the offensive language into stories, it's actually promoting the offensive language? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of journalists are letting the readers down in informing uh, about the story if you don't include what he said.
2: I think you'll find different opinions on this in the news business. I happen to be on your side with this, Cofield. And I think this goes back to not only what we report when it comes to anti Semitic or any other sort of hateful speech. I think it goes to what do we report in the wake of mass shootings? What do we report in when it comes to war? We sanitize a lot of what is presented to people in the news and shield them from what we consider to be disturbing images and disturbing speech and so on. And in a lot of cases, me as someone in the news ends up feeling like, are we really representing what we should be to everyone? Or should we be reporting on exactly what's happening with the proper warnings to say, if you're going to continue down the path of reading this, consuming this, et cetera, we're telling you that there could be something that is potentially upsetting to you.
1: Yeah, I'm on your guys' side on this too, but Adam, I have the, the next sort of point on that, which is I also not only do i i think it's important to know exactly what's said i think it's important to not editorialize the news you know if if the news source is choosing to not publish it because they believe that that's offensive they've supplanted their judgment and morality onto me as a reader and they have decided what i can read or what i can consume and what i can be offended by or not and in this day and age i, I think i speak for most americans when i say I just want the news straight, uneditorialized. I don't want to become a foot soldier for one side against the other. I just want the facts, and I don't want it distilled down, sanitized, or otherwise changed because of a particular morality that the news source has,
2: rather than just being the news. Oh, Justin, I I could not possibly agree more. And I'll tell you what, in my own family, I have people say to me, where can I get a source of unbiased news. They're asking me as a news person, where can I even look? And I'll tell you, you know, where I have them look, uh, well, I guess in a moment.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the outcomes of this is someone like Antonio Brown, who is an idiot and isn't going to look into the issue, but he's got a big voice, throwing it out there that Kanye's comments were taken out of proportion. Okay, were they blown out of proportion or were they taken out of context? Someone reads that and they're like, Yep, big news. Kanye did didn't say anything. Just give us the details. You don't have to police what we get to read and how we inform ourselves. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling on here, Reno, Las Vegas. It's the Battleborn Sports Hour, 766-1400. 766-1400 is the call from anywhere in Nevada number with Justin Watkins, who's with us, or Matt Hoffman and the rest of the crew here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Uh, Adam Candy, you have a, a follow-up story now as this continues to go on and on with Deshaun Watson and what Rusty Harden, his attorney, is doing now.
2: Yeah, and this is really a question of uh, legal strategy for Justin that I'm curious about because we saw that... Uh, Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's attorney, was willing to settle the overwhelming majority of the sexual misconduct claims uh, in civil court that were against Deshaun Watson. And now they're coming back against the newest of these accusations, the 26th overall suit. And they're filing uh, some screenshots and other texts that suggest that this woman might be someone who is uh, less than on the up and up. And I won't get into the particulars of it. I'll let uh, Justin handle that if he wants to. But I'm curious about the strategy, Justin, of them fighting back on this one, as opposed to being willing to settle and get so many of these other ones out of the way. What does it say, do you think, about the merits of the case, if anything?
1: Yeah, obviously not being in the room and developing the re- legal strategy. Uh, I think in this instance, it's, it's pretty clear uh the the two latest filings that came were after the hearing had already commenced on his suspension and so I think clearly knowing the hearing was coming up with the NFL arbitrator or the arbitrator be, be chosen by the NFL and the NFLPA, w- was that let's settle this up so that we can try to get a minimized suspension I don't think the settlements were based on what they thought their legal Um rights were if it were to go to trial. It was about saving his career and maximizing the number of games he could play. Then as that hearing's going on, and after the hearing, they get two new complaints. And so I think if you are them, you have to win that case in the court of public opinion so the NFL can can look themselves in the mirror and say, the 11 games is enough. We don't have to revisit this with the two new claims. Not only are they no different than the existing claims and what does it matter if it was 23 or 25? We we suspended him based on multiple violations. But number two, it seems like these these next two that came after all this had gone on are not exactly on the up and up. Um, and, and what they've shown in, in public opinion, not court filings, is that especially this latest one, the woman was almost badgering Deshaun Watson with constant text over the course of a year, none of which Deshaun Watson ever responded to. And they were all basically sexual in nature or full of innuendo. And so it has nothing to do, the legal strategy has nothing to do with winning in the court of law. I don't think, I think it's everything about winning these in the court of public opinion. And most importantly, The commissioner of the nfl to say we don't need to revisit any further punishment we're done here
2: so in the devil's advocate sense justin is it possible for deshaun watson to win in the court of public opinion given everything that is out there at this point
1: oh i think unlike this particular instance where you put out the text messages it shows that this particular woman um is saying something uh, in court papers that she was clearly not uh, to Deshaun Watson, I, I think you can get people maybe not say, "Hey, Deshaun Watson's a good dude," but people to say, "All right, this lady's just trying to cash in a ticket that everybody else fought for. You know, she wasn't part of the fight, and now she's just trying to get paid at the end."
0: Remind me again, how long was the Watson suspension? It was eleven. Eleven games. Okay. We're out of time, but I saw the Frank Clark on a gun charge. Yep got two games. So basically 20% of what Watson got the, the NFL. They're, they're never going to win with us in terms of the length of these suspensions. And right. I can't wait to see what happens with Alvin Kamara and his alleged role in the fight in town, which was a brutal, brutal freaking fight. It's Cofield and company with the Battle Born Sports Hour presented by Battle Born Injury Lawyer 766-1400.
2: Ready to go here at SAP Center. They dropped the puck. We're underway. Phil Kessel has broken the NHL Ironman record. 990 consecutive games for Phil Kessel. The enigmatic everyman is now the NHL's
0: Ironman.
1: It's Cofield and Company, live
0: on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling on here. On this Wednesday, we're live at the Battleborne Broadcast Center. Adam Candy alongside Steve Cofield. So you hear the highlight there. We're talking a little bit of Phil Kessel today. We're gonna to talk more about Kessel in the next couple of minutes. But this is a candy. this is a really interesting story with Kessel. He sets the Iron Man record last night. He's an, I don't even mean, but he's like he's not really a knight yet and yet everyone was embracing him. So I, I wanted to find out more about Phil Kessel. He seems like a really fascinating character. yet, you know, on Mike, he doesn't really say anything, so this is interesting. Uh, the score did a story on him and um, we have a guest in to uh, talk about it as uh, John Mattis was the guy who wrote the story and he's up on Cofield and Company. how are you buddy? I'm well guys thanks for having me on. Uh, do you get what I'm saying at the front end of this uh, you know we've we've had this dude come in who we really haven't had in the market and then all of a sudden he sets this unbelievable record and people are like oh, I guess we're gonna embrace. Kessel, it's a little bit weird, right? Like, maybe he should have been allowed. It's just the way things work. But maybe he should have been allowed to set this record in some spots that were much more familiar with him and bigger fans of Phil Kessel.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair, and I hadn't even thought about it as someone who's living in Canada and didn't really have the Vegas vibe on the whole thing. But, I mean, what if the eight games into his tenure? Um, he hasn't exactly lit the, the world on fire in terms of his stats. I know he scored um, in, in, in his Record-breaking game, but aside from that, it's been pretty quiet from him. Um, and he signed late in the off-season, so there's certainly um, a period here where you're trying to get to know him. And he's not the greatest at opening up, as you guys yeah, yeah. know, and as he as he's famous for, infamous for, however you want to phrase it. Um, so it takes some time. But I mean, where he's at in his career, um, I think it makes a lot of sense to be on Vegas and be a guy that you can move up and down the lineup. Um, on the wing, there. I think I think I like the fit a lot.
0: Well, I can tell you from the embracing a player standpoint. Um, if he plays well, uh, this is a top five market for fans going freaking crazy over a guy. I mean, they when they fall in love with someone, they really fall in love with them. So you mentioned you know him opening up is kind of an unusual thing. And you wrote a story on Phil Kessel and the Iron Man deal. Did you actually get him to open up? It sounds like it was more of hey, around the league, people opened up and talked about Phil Kessel
3: yeah we put in a request to talk to phil and uh, the knights couldn't arrange it i know he talked to nhl.com and you know if you read that story and it was a perfectly fine story but what kessel has to say about himself is is not much uh, to be honest so i don't think he he necessarily would have added too much to our story if i'm being honest sorry i just got my toddler here with me um and it's just the nature of a beast with the guy he's He's very uh, introverted. He's very adverse to to attention. Um, And he just, his personality isn't exactly one where he wants um, to be the center of attention in this way. Like, if he's in the dressing room with the Knights, he doesn't mind being in there in the middle of things, debating stuff, uh, chirping this guy, chirping that guy, uh, doing a chin-up competition with the coach whatever it may be. He's at the center of it. That's why teammates love him, because he's so himself, he's so authentically himself and unapologetically himself that he's impossible not to like. But then publicly, I mean, aside from what he does on the ice and some of the social media stuff he's done over the years, which has been a lot of tongue-in-cheek things, uh, aside from that, we haven't gotten much from Phil himself. But even just the way he acts on the ice and, you know, the receding hairline and the body type and... Um, you know his, his limited interaction you kind of you can tell why people like him why that personality really fits in any room in the league
2: so what did you get out of the folks that you talked to about Phil Kessel what did maybe you learn that you didn't even know in terms of all of that experience from around the league?
3: yeah well I guess some of my bigger takeaways were that uh, one I knew that he wasn't this this workout freak but I didn't realize that. He's exceptionally strong. Like He's so naturally gifted that he will rank really highly in fitness tests and completely annoy his teammates because he just walks into training camp having, obviously he works out in the summer. I'm not saying he just got to the out, but compared to the modern athlete, he's on the lower end of, of time committed to the gym in the <laughs> offseason and, and time on, the, on the, the, the sheet of ice in the offseason. He likes to take breaks. Um, but he'll come in and smash all of these fitness tests, and he'll also do it without stretching. I learned that this guy just does not stretch, which is he's coming from someone who just pulled their groin playing uh, beer league baseball. Um, <laughs> that, that's tough to, to wrap my head around, because he's going out there night after night, never getting hurt, which is obviously a huge part of his story, getting to that Ironman record, um, and playing at a high level. Uh, so there's sort of these like weird quirks, these enigmatic parts of, of him as not only his personality, but sort of how he gets from A to B, how he gets from being, you know, Mr. Everyday Man to being, um, at one point, a prolific scorer in the league and still obviously a useful player in the league. Um, he's up to 400 goals. So that's something that, that, that comes off, um, off the page, jumps off the page for me. And also something like the fact that he, never, he rarely gets hit by opponents. Uh, Mark Savard, a former Boston Bruin who played with Kessel, uh, back in the day, he just mentioned sort of in passing when when we spoke to him. Uh, and this story was done with a colleague, Nick Ferris. Um, he said, "You know what? I, I always find it hilarious when I see who's been hit the least, the league, uh, at the end of the season." And I and I, I you know I, I heard that, I read that, and I go, "Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true." And then I go and check Kessel, and like almost every year, he's you know in the bottom five, bottom ten of guys who just never get hit. So that alone is kind of a funny thing, right? The guy's got a, the puck a lot. Um, he's on the ice a lot. you think he would get hit a fair amount, but he evades checks. He doesn't necessarily crash the net, which you could argue uh, is is not the most effective way to play hockey. You need that part of your game sometimes, but um, that's another quirk with him. He, he sort of goes out of his way. Um, he's very calculated in the sense that he's trying to, to extend the streak and, and, and remain healthy, and he also plays in a way... Uh, that is very, I guess, synonymous with that. Very, there's, there's a strong link there. So that was another thing that, that jumped off the page. And, and, and I'll just throw one more thing at you, and this is more of a personality thing, but we talked to James Van Riemsdyk, who knows him from his Toronto days, and uh, another leaf at the time, Jake Gardner, was also from Minnesota. It was Jake Gardner and James Van Riemsdyk. They had a lot of the same friends back home. And during the time with the Leafs, they would get texts from their buddies, and it wasn't necessarily, hey, how's it going, James? What's new? It's like, tell us about the, the, you know, the, the crazy thing that Kessel did recently. Like, they, they just got so engrossed with this care they would hear about, and they just wanted more stories and more stories from their buddies in the NHL. So I thought that was interesting where like, even if you have a, a guy who you know well from your hometown on the Leafs, You don't want to know how things are going with him. You want to know what is the latest crazy thing that either happened to Phil Kessel or that he did or said.
2: John Mattis joining us to talk about a story he wrote about Phil Kessel and his uh, interesting personality, we'll say, as he gets the Iron Man streak with the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, 400th goal. I'm curious, now that you explain some of these quirky things about him to us, John, as we look at how he fits into a locker room that kind of sees itself as you know guys who are being hated guys who aren't being liked kessel maybe brings a little something different to that uh, how do you see the golden knights because i know you wrote a little bit about this earlier this year
3: yeah no i think that's an interesting connection actually and i hadn't personally made it where you've got a group of players in vegas uh that have a bit of a chip on their shoulder um not only Does the hockey world go, oh, you guys missed the playoffs? I think it's time to, you know, take a step back in your aspirations and maybe look at this league more realistically. You know, you're not going to make the finals every year and you're not going to make the conference final every year. You could tell, you know, in the preseason I talked to Mark Stone and he sort of had that vibe of like, you know, us versus them. But when you inject a guy like Phil Kessel into that room, I think it's helpful because he's, he's not an outcast that's the wrong way to put it but he's sort of eccentric and he's been around the league a long time and he can also break that tension a little bit um he loves hanging out with anyone on the team i mean young old quiet reserved um you know european north american like it it doesn't matter that's one of his his main qualities that that teammates like is that he's always down to hang out he's always down to, to debate sports or debate that and as, you know culturally and intangibly and weird and eye roly that seems um, as far as it, it having an impact on wins and losses I think it does to some extent I think that uh, given what happened last year with all the injuries with Eichel coming in and, and not necessarily you know being this, this huge launch pad to a great postseason and then the, the coach change I think there's there's sort of a lot of tension in the air a lot of um, I guess you know, possible, uh, not blow-ups, but uh, possible problems in the room if things don't kind of get get righted. And obviously that's gone well in the early going. The team's uh, off to a good start. The, the goaltending stabilized, et cetera. So I think uh, from that perspective, there's a huge uh, advantage. There's a nice fit there. And then on the ice, uh, like I said earlier, you can put Kessel on Eichel's wing. You can slide him down the line-up. The lineup. He's, he's not who he used to be in terms of uh, an elite scorer, but the guy can playmate. He can skate better than than you know 90% of the league. So uh, It's a valuable player to have.
2: About a minute left here. John, why do you think that Bruce Cassidy is the X-factor for the Golden Knights this year?
3: I think he is. Well, First of all, I guess my, my first um, point would be that because the goaltending is so new, so fresh, and I know they're off to a good start, and Logan Thompson could continue this great run. I believe in him, but in general, with that goaltending inexperience from him and Aiden Hill, I think that the coaching, the structure, uh, the way that that Cassidy wants this team to play in their own zone, sort of a zone defense um, could be very beneficial to the golden Knights and their success because you just can't bleed chances against an experienced goalies. It's just, you could be any team in the league. It's just sort of uh one of those facts of hockey. And I think that uh, Cassidy's a very, like, very, very detailed coach. And not to say that previously they didn't have detail in their game in Vegas, but I feel like just bringing that structure, but also his personality, a little levity, a little, um, I guess, uh, charisma is also helpful. And I just think, you know, they didn't change over the roster to any great degree. So I think that alone opens up the door for to really walk through as the X factor as a possible Jack Adams candidate if everything goes well
2: here.
0: Go to thescore.com. How Phil Kessel of all players got to the brink of becoming the Man. This was from a couple of days ago. John Mattis on with us. John, we appreciate it. We just tweeted it out as well for our audience. Thank you so much. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. This is a great story. It really is. And for someone, I'll just say myself, who has a ton of respect and often fandom for bad body guys in sports. This story has it all because when you read through it, like one of the players they talked to about Phil Kessel, and again, Phil Kessel is probably 5'11", 225, balding, 35. One of the players was like, let me tell you about this guy. First of all, he's freakishly strong. The other one is, you'd be shocked, amazing vertical leap. Yeah! Big fella can jump! How about that? How about that, Candy? For you slim and trim mofos. The short and squatty can be great athletes.
2: Yeah. I always associate Steve Cofield with Phil Kessel and think, yep, just throw him in one bucket. Dad <laughs> strength. Old man strength. Zoftig athletic heroes. <laughs> Kessel and Cofield.
0: Not what I was saying.
2: Find Uh all three hours of the
0: show, LVSportsNetwork.com.